Our topic, atheistic fools, or atheists are fools, and we'll see what we mean by that. And this is part of my series on the fear of the Lord, but I'm going to do a, just a whole sermon on this topic. And I'm going to read Proverbs, excuse me, I'm going to start with Psalm 14.1, and then I'm going to read Proverbs 1.7. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. And then it goes on, and uh, that's that's the lengthy quote that Paul quote, uh, Paul will quote that in Romans chapter uh, two for the universality of man's sin. <clears throat> the reverential awe, fear of the Lord and living God is ne is necessary not only for a love of the of the law, covenant faithfulness, and biblical worship, but also for true knowledge and wisdom. So we're going to see in, in great detail why atheists are fools. And uh, there's a ton of atheists on YouTube, and a lot of them are very articulate. Uh, but you can tell they haven't studied philosophy or logic because they're arbitrary. And what they say is easily disproved. <clears throat> of course, God is the starting point for all predica predication, all knowledge, as Van Til asserts, the ontological trinity, that is the self-contained triune God who exists, is the foundation of all predication. Without the true God who exists, you can't know anything consistently, and you cannot predicate anything, you cannot have a legitimate epistemology. And this point is emphasized by Scripture in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. <clears throat> so without faith in Christ and the true God that exists, men cannot know anything as they ought to know it and cannot really understand reality or ultimate meaning and concerns of life. So without the Christian world and life view, as defined by Scripture, you cannot really know anything. Now, you can say you can have surface knowledge. That's a chair. That's a dog. That's an apple. But you cannot have meaning. You cannot know the origins or the meaning of life. The Word of God calls such men fools. Pagans and atheists can have a rudimentary surface knowledge and thus can design cars, perform surgery, fly to the moon, figure out the rotation of planets, learn math, history, and foreign languages, etc. We don't deny that. You could be the worst, most evil person in the world who's a Satan worshiper and be a good designer of cars. Because that's just surface knowledge. A pagan could be a better rock climber than a Christian. And, of course, Paul says that in this world, most of the greatest people as far as like musicians and artists and stuff are not Christians. They're pagans. Not many wise, not many noble. <clears throat> but they cannot give us true meaning, the real origin of the universe, or the ultimate reason why things are the way they are. They have a general knowledge of the true God from nature. The heavens declare the glory of God. But because of their sin and depravity, this knowledge is continually suppressed in unrighteousness 
and then I'm not going to read it, but read it later, Romans 1.18 to 22. <clears throat> and it's present continuous tense. Reality around us, the universe, the world we live in, teaches us the true God of Scripture every moment of every day. But the unbeliever suppresses that knowledge and unrighteousness every moment of every day. The suppression and rebellion causes them to embrace idolatry, false religions, and philosophies. Romans 1.22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Now this teaching on the fear of God and knowledge, or understanding, reveals to us, and we have to understand this, there's a radical antithesis between Christian thought and secular thinking. The Bible-believing Christian begins every intellectual, moral, social, scientific, or philosophical endeavor by going to the true God and seeing exactly what he has to say. We stand on the sacred scriptures and the Christian world and life view in every intellectual project. For we know that it is the only way to discern truth and arrive at correct conclusions in the social, ethical, or scientific process. And yes, Western science arose from Christians. We live in a universe, not a multiverse. There's laws of nature that God set in motion. In a chance universe where everything's in flux, there are the only laws of nature are that there is no laws. Everything is in flux. <clears throat> At the outset of every analysis of reality, People begin with certain assumptions, starting points, axioms, or presuppositions. If those assumptions are totally false, then no matter how intelligent they are, or how careful the scientific process is carried out, the conclusion will be wrong. For one's predication is directed by one's presuppositions. And this is very good to understand. And once you understand this, you can understand why, like, how you can, for example, take a liberal Democrat, like a, a left-winged lunatic, and you can present fact after fact after fact after fact, and they won't, they won't bend to reality. They live in a total fantasy. Because anything that contradicts their presuppositions, they simply rule out of bounds a priori. They reject it automatically. The secular humanist begins by positing the impossibility of the existence of the triune God of Scripture and the doctrine of creation by an infinite personal God. That's his presupposition. So even though there's tons of evidence for creation, the fossil record proves creation, biology proves creation, they say we evolve from a single-celled organism. Well, there are single cells out there. There are bacteria. But there are no beings that are made of two cells or three cells or five cells. It goes from single cells to com complex life. There's nothing in between. Well, if we evolve from a single cell, there would be literally millions of different kind of creatures in between a single cell and, let's say, a trilobite or a sarfish or a crab. But there is nothing in between. And the same goes for the fossil record. If we evolve from pond scum, from bacteria or an algae in the ocean, the primordial seas, the fossil record would reveal 
tons of transitional forms between each species. There are no transitional forms. All they can point to, they point to a bird that might have had scales on it. And they say, look, that's in between a dinosaur and a bird. <laughs> that's just ridiculous. There would be thousands. Why aren't there 10 different kinds of humans in between a chimpanzee and a human? But anyway, that's for another topic. <clears throat> the word of God calls such men fools. Pagans and atheists cannot have true knowledge whatsoever. The secular humanist, by positing the impossibility of the existence of the triune God and the doctrine of creation, believes in a closed universe. This is all there is. There is no transcendence. And denies a priori any idea of transcendence, the spiritual or Christian theism. So you're, you know, let's say you discuss the the the, obvi the prophecies that prove the resurrection, or the, there's 300 prophecies about Jesus that have that have been fulfilled, 300. And you know, there's prophecies by Daniel predicting the four emperors. There's there's so much evidence that the Bible is the in, in, infallible word of God, but they reject it a priori. That is before the facts. As Carl Sagan, the host of the popular television program called Cosmos, has said, listen to this, quote, the cosmos is all there is, or was, or will ever be. End of quote. Godly David, however, has a radically different view of Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. To think as a secularist or atheist is to limit one's analysis and conclusions to a purely imminent this material universe criteria. To fear God as a Christian means that we view every fact, every aspect of our lives and reality in relation to God speaking in the scriptures. And therefore we can have true wisdom, true knowledge, true understanding. The unbeliever cannot. Now the unbeliever, as we'll get into in a moment, can be inconsistent and can lie and stand on the Christian world and life view and talk about ethics and things as though those things exist. If you believe in evolution, for example, the Nazis, the whole Nazi eugenics movement was founded upon macroevolutionary theory. And in macroevolutionary theory, the only uh, thing that really matters is you're, you want to preserve your species and continue to propagate. That's all that really matters. So the Nazi says, well, we think we're superior to the Slavs. So we're going to conquer the Slavs and kill them all. Well, according to macroevolutionary theory, now they were wrong, obviously. Humans are humans because God created man. All men are made in the image of God. There are no superior humans ever. But based on evolution, you can't say that what they did was unethical. Because there is no ethics. But anyway, we'll discuss that in a moment. <clears throat> because the secular humanist holds to the ultimacy of the universe, he holds to the ultimacy of the mind of man, the highest product of evolution. Okay, they, that's how they turn man into God. We're the highest product of evolution. Inanimate matter now thinks and speaks. 
Because he denies special revelation in the fall, he holds to the normalcy of the universe and the mind of man. And I, I watched, this week I watched a bunch of, uh, what is it, Dawkins, Hawkins, all these guys. And anybody who knows their Bible, even rudimentary, could refute them instantly. Because they assume that, that the mind of man is normal and that everything is as it is is normal. And then they accuse God of all kinds of things. Oh, God allows disease and all that. No, there was a fall. The Bible explains everything perfectly. It's man's fault, not God's fault, that we have sin and evil and murder and crime and disease and war. Do I like it? Of course not. But it's not God's fault, it's man's fault. Men can make intellectual mistakes, they say, but that is normal. It is part of the evolutionary process. The secular humanist concludes that true knowledge can only be attained autonomously, apart from any divine revelation. And to assert divine revelation, they, according to them, is evil and arbitrary. And then, they, of course, they always lump the Bible in with Islam and the cults and all kinds of false religions. That's a tactic they always use. Well, only the Bible is self-authenticating. Only the Bible has absolute proof that it is the Word of God. Only the Bible is authenticated by literally hundreds of, of prophecies that came true absolutely perfectly, for one thing. That's just one thing. That is, by man thinking and acting independently from God and his special revelation, any appeal to the Bible or its teachings is deemed out of bounds and illegitimate from the start of the intellectual process. They just simply say, well, that's not scientific. We're scientific. You're not scientific. Of course, what does traditional empirical science teach? Empirical science teaches that you learn things by observation. You have to see it. And repeated experiment or repeated observation. Has anyone seen non-life turn into life? And of course, there's been thousands upon thousands of experiments where they try to make non-life turn into life or even have a complex uh, amino acids and so forth. They can't do it. They've never seen non-life turn into life. Why is that? Because it's impossible. They've never seen evolution take place. The fossil record contradicts evolution. The chromosomes and things that we have are so complex that the odds of it happening by chance, I, I forget what the number is, but it's like 10 with, uh, you know, 10 to the 40th power, some ridiculous number, trillions and trillions. It's just impossible. Even when archaeological and paleontological findings agree with the biblical record, which they certainly do, they are immediately rejected because such an interpretation would be religious, in their view, and not scientific. Yet they hold all sorts... Macroevolution is a faith. There's no empirical evidence for macroevolution. The only reason people believe in it is because if you don't believe in it, you have to believe in some kind of creation. And they, they, they just say that's not scientific a priori, before the facts. There is no evidence that life can come from non-life. There's none at all. There is no evidence in the fossil record for evolution. None. None whatsoever. It's all a lie. You've been taught a lie from youth. And then, uh, just the, we're going to look at Psalm uh, Proverbs 1.7. Excuse me, Psalm 14.1. The negative manner in which Scripture, this is called secularism is foolishness, the negative manner in which Scripture gives instruction that corresponds to Proverbs 1.7 and 2.6 
is Psalm 14.1, which is repeated verbatim in Psalm 53.1. Now, in the longer quote, one of them will use Elohim instead of Yahweh. That's the only difference. But they're both written by David, and they're both identical. So we have something... God, God says twice in Scripture that atheists are fools. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt, they've done abominable works, there's none who does good. <clears throat> the word the fool is without the article and is used generically of all unregenerate, unbelieving, or apostate humanity. Anyone who is not a Christian, God says, is a fool. Anyone who's not a Christian. The Hebrew word for fool, nabal, or actually nabal, yeah, nabal, is broader in meaning than our English word, which refers to one lacking in reason or understanding abilities. Okay, Someone who's an idiot, an imbecile, or a goofball. You know, somebody who acts silly. We, we say, well, that's a, what a fool. Well, the, the Hebrew word is, is much broader in meaning, and it, it has an ethical connotation of evil. The Hebrew word has a strong ethical overtones, for the foolishness is connected to wicked thinking and behavior. You get the the, the wicked, the foolish woman uh, in the Proverbs is the whore who's trying to get men to commit adultery or to visit a prostitute or whatever. That's, that's a fool, a foolish woman. It is used of wicked, vile, and pious people who suppress the truth about God in order to sin and serve idols. So it has a, it has a, it has that sense of being a fool, an idiot, an imbecile, but it also has an ethical sense of being an idiot because you're wicked. Whenever men deny the, the existence of Yahweh, the true God, or live as though the true Lord uh, does not really exist, okay, we call that practical atheism, you see people all the time who, oh, I'm a Christian, and they're commit, committing adultery on a habitual basis. Or, you know, mafia members, they're in the mob, and they, they go to the Roman Catholic Church if they have people murdered. <laughs> okay, that's practical atheism. They're not Christians at all. <clears throat> then not only is the true meaning uh, denied, but wickedness will prevail. When someone operates his intellectual life as though there is no infinite personal God who is holy, righteous, and just, the Bible tells us that they will despise wisdom and instruction and hate genuine knowledge. Proverbs 1, 7 and 29. And become ethically corrupt and commit abominable works. Psalm 114, 53, 1. Here's uh, Psalm 14, 3. And the word all in this, in the Hebrew is emphatic. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. And Paul quotes this in Romans to prove the universality of sin and the universal need of bending the knee to Christ and believing him as Lord and Savior. As David says, Psalm 36, 1 and 2, Concerning the transgression of the wicked, there is no fear of God before their eyes. He flatters himself in his own eyes. They pat themselves on the back and think how moral and wonderful they are as they rush headlong into sin and iniquity and blasphemy. Rebels against God deny, deny the obvious and live in a self-imposed deception. I mean, the Democrats, we're moral, we care about the poor. 
Well, any objective, objective analysis of the, the Great Society of Lyndon Baines Johnson and the welfare state that they really got going in the, in the 1960s under Johnson and the Democrats has done more to harm black families than the Ku Klux Klan could do in 500 years because it's taken the fathers out of the home. Uh, blacks are, what, 13% of the population? They commit 53% of all the crimes, black men. Actually, black men are more like 6% of the population, but they commit 53% of all the crimes. Why is that? It's not because they're black. It's not because of white racism. It's because there's no fathers at home and their churches are antinomian. They don't teach the law of God. They're wicked. They're false prophets. All these black preachers are false prophets. Now, they obviously are great ones. There's some really good ones, but they're few and far between. Most of them are big supporters of the Democrats and abortion and all these things. They're evil. Rebels against God deny God. They deny the obvious. Consequently, the professed reasoning, reasonings and analysis of ultimate reality or the meaning of life is reduced to foolishness and nihilism. We need to keep this biblical analysis in mind for unbelievers will boldly deny the verdict of Scripture. The assertion there is no God, that is God is defined by Scripture, is a way of thinking that is treated by the Word of God not as a sincere, misguided, scientific, or simply ignorant conviction, but as an immoral, inexcusable, wicked gesture of defiance. And that's, how Paul, that's why Paul starts Romans chapter 1 by pointing out... Now, keep in mind, the first three chapters of Romans, he's, he's really establishing the fact that all humanity needs Jesus Christ. There's none righteous, no, not one. And he, he begins by showing that the, the heavens declare the glory of God, the heavens prove the existence of the true God who created all things, and therefore man is without excuse. Now, why does he do that? Because when he wrote that, the vast majority of the world did not have written revelation. So if you're in a jungle in southern Brazil and you've never seen a telephone or you've never seen civilization or heard the gospel, you're still guilty. Fallen men are depraved, rebellious, and sinful to the very core. This heart rebellion corrupts their presuppositions, principles, and motives of action. In Psalm 10.4, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. We see that the atheist in his arrogance is not only committed to total human autonomy. That is this idea that I make my own rules. I, I live the way I want to. Don't tell me what to do. There is no objective authority. <clears throat> but also rules out any possibility of sanctions for an immoral life. You see these guys, and they go in and they rob a gas station. And they get the money, and there's no need for them to kill anybody, but they shoot everybody anyway. And you say, how could people be so evil and thoughtless and wicked? They don't believe there's any accountability. They don't believe in a divine judgment. That's one reason people hate the doctrine of creation. If the, if the universe is created by an infinite personal God who is holy, righteous, and just, there has to be a universal judgment. There will be a judgment. There are no atheists in hell. In Job 21, we see that the atheist seeks self-sufficiency as he assumes 
that an infinite personal God who created the universe is not necessary. In Romans 1, 18 and following, Paul presents atheism as a deliberate suppression of the truth that not only leads to intellectual suicide and epistemological darkness, but also a life of immorality. All these atheists on there, on YouTube, everyone I know of, they're pro-abortion, sexual immorality, homosexuality, sodomite marriage, yet they tell us how moral they are and that Christianity is dangerous and will lead to immorality. What satanic liars? <clears throat> the arrogant materialist does abominable works because his thinking is an abomination. Psalm 14.1 Isaiah describes such fools in Isaiah 32.6 Quote, the foolish person will speak foolishness. And his heart will work iniquity, to practice ungodliness, to utter error against the Lord, to keep the hungry unsatisfied. And he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. The foolishness of atheism, whether theoretical or practical, is bound up in every unbelieving heart. The rebellion in suppressing the truth and unrighteousness is evident in three ways. And this is just a summary. The first is that in denying the true God, they love to speak blasphemies against Jesus, God, and the Bible. Now, I know that book, God is Not Great. That's a direct slam against Islam, and Islam is evil to the very core. Evil is based on blood. Evil is based on warfare. It's based on spreading the religion by the sword. It's based on total coercion and statism. And of course, it's grossly immoral. Uh, Muhammad was uh, having sex with nine-year-olds. He was a murderer and a rapist. And anybody who reads the Quran objectively can see that it's a very poorly written piece of garbage. They're no more neutral or objective than Satan, their master. And then just, this is such a good quote. I, I know it's written in old-fashioned language. This is John Howe. Why do men resist God's authority against which they cannot dispute and disobey his commands unto which they cannot devise to frame an exception? What but the spirit of enmity, which can make them regret so easy a yoke, reject so light a burden, shun and fly off from so peaceful and pleasant paths, yea, and take ways so manifest, take hold of hell and lead down to the chambers of death, Rather, choosing to perish than obey. Is not this the very height of enmity? What further proof would we seek of disaffected and implacable their hearts? No God, as much they say, as to say, oh, that we, we, there were none. This parent extinct, excuse me, this is enmity not only to the highest pitch of wickedness, to which their common parent extinct, the author of their being, but even unto madness itself. For in the forgetful heat of their, this transport, it is not enough on that they wish, not the most absolute impossibility, and that if it were possible they wish with his the extinction of their own and of all being, and that the sense of their hearts put into words would amount no less than a direct and most horrid execration and curse upon God and the whole creation of God at once as if by the blasphemy of their poisonous breath they would wither all nature, blast the whole universe of being, and make it fade, languish, and drop into nothing. 
This is to set their mouth against heaven and earth, themselves and all things at once. As if they thought their feeble breath should overpower the omnipotent word. Shake and shiver the Adamite pillars of heaven and earth. And the Almighty fiat be defeated by their nay, striking at the root of all. So fitly as to said, the fool has said in his heart, muttered thus, Nor are those few souls, but this is plainly given us as a common character of apostate men. The whole revolted race, of whom it is said in very general terms, they are all gone back. There is none that doeth good. This is their sense, one and all. This is comparatively, and the true state of the case being laid upon them is more their temper and sense to say no God than to repent and turn unto him. What mad enmity is this? Nor can we devise unto what else to resolve it. Such a great quote. I had to put it in there. I couldn't, couldn't resist. So that's first. Second, they are constantly, while they constantly appeal to their position as ethical and rational, their worldview, matter, plus time, plus chance, which arose from nothing, renders ethics and reason as impossible as arbitrary chance constructs coming from electrochemical responses from a purely physical mass called the brain. Which, of course, leads to really a kind of fatalism. In their view, love is not love. Love is a chemical response of, of, of atoms randomly floating in the void simply so people can propagate the race and continue the species. They don't really have love. Love is an illusion. Human love to them, in the evolutionary theory, is no more real love than mosquitoes mating by a pool of filthy water. <clears throat> all of this, of course, arose from pure chance. They can speak of ethics and reason all they want, and they do all the time. In the most bold and elegant fashion, but their intellectual axioms cannot account for or justify their assertions. I watched an interview with Isaac Asimov, and who was an atheist, you know. And uh, well, if, if there is no God, why do we have to be moral? And he's all, well, I choose to be moral. Or that might have been the, the comedian Ricky Gervais who said this. I choose to be moral. What do you mean you choose to be moral? There is no morality. Morality is just purely an arbitrary thing that people made up. So what they're doing is they're stealing concepts of morality from the Christian world and life view. That's all they're doing. There is no morality. There is no justification for morality. You can speak about it and be arbitrary all you want, but it's arbitrary. To speak as they do, they must assume the Christian position. Third, they speak of ethics as if there was something absolute above man, which of course explicitly contradicts their worldview, and analyze themselves as champions of morality and humanity, yet advocate for gross sexual immorality. So, I'm, so they're not only arbitrary, they're inconsistent. They advocate for, they're all in favor of homosexuality which is totally unnatural. It's a disgusting, gross perversion that God says requires the death penalty. 
Of course, the trans perversion, which is extremely disgusting and perverted, where people are cutting off their sex organs and taking drugs and so forth to pretend they're another uh, sex when they're not. No fault, easy divorce, which is a part of adultery, fornication, sodomite marriage, etc. And of course, the murder of unborn babies, which is abortion on demand. Abortion is one of the most wicked, selfish, bloodthirsty practices in human history, and they're all in favor of it. So don't talk to Christians about morality. They still, from the Christian world and life view, which is arbitrary, to assert morality. When if they're what they believe is true, there is no more such thing as morality. It's all in a, it's all simply positivistic. And then they turn around and advocate immorality. They wear the their need of real absolute transcendent ethics on their blood splattered sleeves. Men who claim to be enlightened free thinkers are self-deceived, wicked, arrogant, wretched fools. And they will there will be no atheists in hell, for even the demons believe and tremble. James 2.19. You have to understand if people when you watch these guys, and they're they're you know, the one is a very popular journalist. Uh, he's the one who wrote the one, God is not great. And he lumps Christian biblical Christianity with all these cults and false things, and he knows virtually nothing about the Bible. He's a total moron. Um, and he's burning in hell right now. He died of cancer. He's right in hell right now with Muhammad. Uh, he believes in God now. <clears throat> well, other insurmountable problems with the atheistic position. In order to grasp more fully the absurdity of the atheistic position, um, let us look at some of the obvious insurmountable problems with the secularist world and life view. The first major problem, and I've already touched on this, but I want to go into more detail, comes from their concept of the universe as arising from cosmic materialistic evolution. There's a singularity, whatever that is. In other words, the whole universe existed in a speck, and then that exploded, and that evolved into the universe. <clears throat> Which is pure theory. There's no... There's evidence for a beginning of the universe, but how it happened, they have no idea. So that which arises from pure chance plus time plus matter cannot be a foundation for a concept of fixed, changing, unchanging truths, except perhaps that there is no fixed truths or laws. In a chance universe, the past cannot really predict the future. For man to posit fixed absolutes or unchanging laws in the realm of philosophy, ethics, or science, he would not only have to be have comprehensive knowledge of everything in the universe, he'd have to be omniscient, but would also have to know everything in the past as well as the future. Because the future is not the past. He would need to be omniscient. There must be comprehensive knowledge somewhere for man to know any fact or law or ethical rule truly for in a purely imminent scheme of pure flux or contingency, facts or laws are relative and subject to continued change. The Greek philosophers understood this problem better than modern people do. They thought about these things to a degree, and thus they invented the realm of ideals so there could be universals for correct definitions. They understood it. So they simply made up a realm of ideals where there are absolutes existing out there somewhere. 
Independent of man, of course, in their scheme, independent of their version of God, the first mover. So it's arbitrary. But at least they understood the problem. They understood it. For Carl Sagan and other secular humanists to argue that the universe is all there is and all there ever will be, they would first need to know, number one, how the universe came into being, and they do not. They have no idea. For they deny creation ex nihilo by an infinite personal God. They don't know. You know, there's this background radiation that they found where people posit a Big Bang, a, a beginning. Well, Creation explains that just as good as a Big Dang does. The, uh, <clears throat> and number two, is there a spiritual realm outside of the physical universe? They are not speaking scientifically, but are simply restating their purely eminent naturalistic presuppositions. And their, their argument is, well, I, if I can't see it, it's not there. And when the Soviets first flew around the moon, they were, oh, we look, we didn't see God. Atheism is true. That's what the Soviets actually did that. Now, when you're standing in a house in, let's say, Pennsylvania, where they have basements, or up north in Wisconsin, where they have basements, you can't see the beams in the floor underneath your feet. But you can know that the beams are there because they're necessary for the floor to be there, or you'd fall. The knowledge necessary for predication and determining real truths and laws is not the problem for is not a problem for the Christian. For he recognizes that he is a finite creature that has fallen into sin. He recognizes that he's been saved by grace and that God, the God he serves, is all-knowing, self-contained, and absolutely sovereign. Based on special revelation, which I've said, and this is absolutely true, I'm not going to go into it because it would take too much time. It's self-authenticating the Quran and the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads and all these other, you know, the writings of Buddha or whatever. There's absolutely zero proof that they're, that they're true or have their origin in God at all. The Bible has perfect proof. God created and controls the universe. Therefore, there are fixed laws and ultimate truths are obtainable. He also understands that all truth, meaning, and ethics resides in God, and true knowledge about ultimate reality comes from Him. Our thinking is not autonomous and rebellious like Satan and secular humanists who are continually suppressing the truth, but is receptively reconstructive. Our knowledge, our concept of true knowledge, is what it is because our understanding of being comes directly from Scripture. Metaphysics. The idea of how we really know cannot be separated from what we know. For this reason, Augustine said, and it's a very famous phrase, I believe that I may know. And Augustine was the greatest thinker of probably the first five centuries of the church. Oh, after Paul, let's say. After the apostles died, he's the greatest thinker in the church. <clears throat> Unbelief by nature resides on false, satanic presuppositions. In philosophical terms, we could say that one's metaphysics or concept of reality, ultimate reality, determines one's epistemology or theory of knowledge. This is what's so brilliant about Van Til. You can't separate metaphysics from epistemology. You cannot separate your theory of being from your theory of what is. 
They're intimately tied together. They're dependent on each other. It is rationally, empirically impossible, based on their own presuppositions about ultimate reality, for a secular humanist to have knowledge about ultimate things. He is, as Van Til likes to say, he's a man made out of water attempting to climb a stairway of water into a sky of water. He has no ultimate reference point for predication and thus must build a worldview on arbitrary, subjective assumptions that are full of inconsistencies. And whenever they get into a problem, they borrow from the Christian world and life view, especially with, with regard to ethics. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge because the true knowledge and reverence for God that can only come through faith in Jesus Christ is the prerequisite or condition for knowing anything about ultimate reality correctly and consistently. Without a fear of the true God, one cannot consistently justify one's beliefs about reality on any topic. Oh, I believe war is bad. Why? Why? Why aren't you like a Klingon? Why do you think war is wonderful? Or like a Russian who likes to go around killing people and invading neighboring territories based on lies and propaganda? <clears throat> Without a fear of the true God, Man is totally lost. Atheists who mock theism and biblical Christianity will talk about ethics and morality and justice. They will speak about how they are moral persons, but in doing so, they must largely presuppose Christian concepts of morality as they simultaneously contradict their assertions about ethics. In a chance universe of atoms randomly floating about in the void, ethics are nothing but what man, also a product of material substance plus chance, says they are. And according to their worldview, ethics are evolving, relative, arbitrary, situational, and in the end, irrelevant. For once you die, it is as though you never even existed. If you're an atheist, you could be the most upright person in the world, slave and work hard to feed the poor and love everybody and care about your neighbors and when you die you go your state is exactly the same as Adolf Hitler's and Joseph Stalin and Charles Manson so whether you whatever you think about ethics it doesn't make a bit of difference it doesn't mean anything and you say, well, my memory will live on of how what a wonderful person I was. Well, your memory's not going to survive a supernova. They believe that the sun will eventually expand and burn up the whole earth and the human race. No one will even know we existed and other than maybe a, a spaceship found. If, if, there are other, if there were other civilizations, which are, there are not. It is interesting and ironic how atheistic apologists are constantly appealing to their position as one of reason. We follow reason. We follow the facts. Christians follow speculative things and faith, which they say is irrational. The problem with this thinking at this point is that their concept of metaphysics or what exists can only lead to irrationalism and mysticism. If the universe came into existence because of matter plus time plus chance, which is what 
all the colleges and universities teach, according elementary school, everybody, then men must hold to a form of irrationalism. In a chance universe, eternal laws of logic are impossible. Only a universe created and controlled by God has fixed laws. The more that men study the universe based on atheistic, naturalistic, or materialistic presuppositions, the more bizarre and, and mystical modern science, especially physics, becomes. They, w they make up things out of thin air because they cannot explain reality. Things like dark matter. And then they mock Christians whose worldview is the reason modern empirical science even exists. Without a true knowledge of God, men are good at examining surface phenomena. They live in a world that God has created and are forced to an extent to live according to physical laws. For example, gravity. When I, was, I used to be into Eastern philosophy, Hinduism. I was under Paramahansa Yogananda, the Self-Realization Fellowship. Now, he died, I think, in 1952, but his thing's still, still going strong. <coughs> and um, their view is that reality is an illusion. And they say things like, well, the great yogis, the great incarnations of the Godhead, uh, could float through walls and do all these things because reality doesn't really exist. Well, you, want, you can hold to that philosophy, that's fine. But don't hold to that philosophy while you go rock climbing. Or don't hold to that philosophy while you drive your sports car into a brick wall. We live in the universe that God has created, and we have to live by God's laws. But because they do not fear God, they can at best only have a surface or coincidental knowledge of reality. They can make good cars, planes, blenders, spaceships, but they cannot explain why, the why behind reality. The most modern space telescopes have revealed fully formed galaxies, just like our own, on the outer perimeters of the universe. <coughs> this recent discovery proves that galaxies did not evolve slowly over billions of years, which is macroevolutionary theory has assumed for the whole 20th century. It proves that they had to come into being fully formed. They didn't evolve. Do science reject, do scientists reject their fantasy of a cosmic chance evolution over billions and billions of years? No, they do not. Because their unbelieving presuppositions have forced them into an incoherent, irrational, undefendable box. Their commitment to autonomous human reason, which assumes a priori that God does not exist, and creation by God, an infinite personal God, is a myth, forces them to ignore the truth and embrace an unsupportable lie. And now they're coming up with things like, well, there must be multi-universes. There's multiverses. Or they're saying, well... They, they just can't explain it. So they're coming up with crazy theories that are mystical. Their prior conception of reality determines their interpretation of reality. By assuming a lie, they embrace unsupportable lies. Like macroevolution that we evolved from Ponscon, which is absolutely ridiculous. In addition, they reveal their true presuppositions about ethics when they advocate abortion on demand, which is the first degree premeditated murder of babies in the womb. 
and I like I like what the comedian Bill Burr says about this. He's all he's all you know based on the their, their view of abortion. I'm baking a cake. It's in the oven, and you you go and you grab the cake and you slam it against the wall and completely destroy it. Well, it's not a cake yet. <laughs> it didn't come out of the oven. Hey, man, you ruined my cake. The idea that it, that those the, that the baby's inside women because it's dependent on the mother. It's not a human being. Well. Children are dependent on their parents for like 10 years, maybe more. Does that mean you get to kill them? It's ridiculous. Divorce for any cause, socialism, fascism, both of which are state theft and coercion. Most atheists are all also against the death penalty for first degree and second degree murder, for murderers, which is clearly unjust. When Christians point out that atheists cannot give an account or justify contempts for real, transcendent, absolute ethical laws, we are not saying that all atheists will become thieves or serial killers. We're not saying that. We are simply pointing out that based on their purely imminent, materialistic, chance-based worldview, they can give no valid or real reason for absolute, unchanging, real ethical norms. So when, the hit, when Hitler says, kill the Jews, or Stalin says, kill the Kulaks, which is first-degree murder on a wide scale, based on their presuppositions, they can't really condemn that. And you say, well, they, they would condemn it, and they do condemn it. Yes, they do, but they don't condemn abortion, which has killed way more people than Hitler and Stalin. Abortions killed more people than Hitler and Stalin put together. And of course, atheists are not as bad as they could be for a number of reasons. Number one, even though all men except Jesus Christ are fallen creatures, they're still made in the image of God, and they have a conscience or moral emotions. They have the work of the law written on their heart, Romans 2.15. Therefore, concepts of morality are intrinsic to human nature. And I've done this where I'm witnessing to an atheist, and I keep pressing him on this idea that you can't really have morals if you're an atheist. And I, I, I say, justify why there should be morals in a chance universe. And they get all angry. Well, there just are. There have to be. Well, that's proof, <laughs> proof of God. It's proof that your position is false. They get frustrated. Because we're made in the image of God, we have ethical, you know, we're ethical creatures. Now we're fallen. We're corrupt. The conscience has been corrupted by sin, but it is still there. Number two, Western secular humanists are still strongly influenced by the remnants of the Christian world and life view. Because the effects of Christian teachings have not only have not been fully erased from the Western nations. Thank God they're not. That's why we, even though we're totally corrupt, it's why we are as good as we are. Secular humanists are progressively destroying the remnants of the biblical ethics, but they are still quite, biblical ethics are still quite strong particularly in America. Therefore, on the one hand, secularists seek to overturn biblical law in favor of a purely positivistic status law order. But on the other hand, atheists see the need to defend themselves against the obvious truth that atheism destroys any idea of absolute, unchanging, transcendent ethical norms. While they defend real ethical norms in their apologetic against biblical Christianity, they do so arbitrarily and inconsistently. And like I said, as long as they believe in abortion, all their talk of morality is a, is a joke. The secular humanists in our society, they're against the death penalty for murderers. 
who deserve to be put to death. That's simple, pure justice. But they want to be able to kill unborn children who haven't done anything wrong. Totally irrational. And yet they're the, they, they're the champions of reason, we're told. Communist regimes and the Nazis, who were more successful in the eradication of Christian dogma, were much more consistent, evil, and savage in their application of secularistic principles. The cold-blooded murder of about 60 million unborn babies in the United States is a foretaste of what is to come if atheists are successful in completely overturning the Christian foundation of American society. Number three, even though the Bible teaches that fallen men are depraved, rebellious, and have an axe to grind against the true God, they are not as bad as they could be in practice. The Lord uses many means to restrain the wicked for the sake of the church that must remain and grow until the second coming of Christ. And I think we'll have to stop there. I have too much to get through to today, but I'm getting close. But this is a very important topic. <clears throat> Once you understand how we need the true and living God of Scripture, Yahweh, to have true knowledge, to have meaning, to have real ethics, unchanging ethical norms. Once you understand all these things, when you see these very sophisticated scientists and atheistic apologists on YouTube or whatever, uh, you see that they're speaking nonsense. They're speaking arbitrarily all the time. I believe that all religions are evil. Christianity is evil. And I'm good morally and ethically, and if, we've got to get rid of all religions to be, ethically, to be uh, ethical. That's a ridiculous argument. There are no ethics. It doesn't matter what you believe. If we evolve from pond scum and our brains are sips, electrical responses, an epiphenomenon of, 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 of physical brains, and there is no afterlife, and there is no final judgment, and everything is going to blow up in a supernova, all their talk about ethics is complete nonsense. It's bullpucky. But anyway, we'll continue this, Lord willing, next week uh, or the week after, depending on what happens this week. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. You are Yahweh. You do exist. Besides you, there is no other. We bow the knee to your Son, Jesus Christ, the true and living God, the Son of God who came to earth, assumed a human nature, fully God, fully man to one person, so that he could live a sinless life, fulfilling the covenant of works, the law in exhaustive detail, and then die as a sacrificial death on the cross, where all of our sin and guilt has been imputed or reckoned to him on the cross, and he eliminated all of it. We're saved solely by grace, solely by Christ, solely through faith. We thank you for that, Lord. And we ask that you would sanctify us and cause us to walk worthily of our calling that we would love your holy word and that our love of Christ would increase daily in this wicked, degenerate generation. And we could be witnesses for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>